Hello and welcome back to Coming Home Network Presents, where we have conversations about the kinds of things people wrestle with when they're exploring the Catholic Church and wondering if they should become a part of it. Today's a hot topic. It was hot when I came into the church in 2005. Uh, it was hot before that, and it is hot now. And the question is, why was everybody so nice and friendly at my Protestant church, and how come nobody ever even says hello to me at my Catholic parish? Uh, but before we dive into that, uh, first things first, I'm Matt Swaim, Director of Outreach for the Coming Home Network. And if you're someone dealing with an issue exactly like this, then please reach out to us at the Coming Home Network. chnetwork.org is our site. We would love to connect with you and walk with you. Um, we also have an online community that's free that you're more than welcome to become a part of, community.chnetwork.org. And the whole reason we're able to do these and other kinds of conversations and projects is because of the generous support of people who love their faith and want to help you. So if you're one of those people who wants to join that effort, go to chnetwork.org slash donate. Uh, my guests today are Jennifer Fitz and Rocky McCormick, both of whom have been guests on The Journey Home. Jennifer's also done a written version of her conversion story for our website. Uh, Rocky's done a couple of videos uh, for our site as well. Jennifer, Rocky, how you doing? Good. Great. Thawing out up here in Michigan. Yeah, I know. I would not want to live there <laughs> this time of year. Um, so the topic at hand, uh, and we can talk about some of the various ways that people can find these things uh, later on, but Jennifer, you've you've written a few Substack emails on a topic that is absolutely mm -hmm. front and center for the people that we're working on or working with at the Coming Home Network who come from like really friendly, welcoming, engaging, uh, right. you know, churches and then they come to the Catholic Church and like nobody even makes eye contact with them. So I wonder what got you started thinking about this topic based on your own journey of faith. You know, it's um, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. There was a time, um, you know, I, I returned to the Catholic Church and, and and you had asked me earlier, was friendship really a problem at first or was I expecting a problem? And I wasn't. Um, because I just had no reason to believe it would be a challenge. And I and I and my first parish was a small parish. It was very friendly. The first year went really well. Um, but I had this experience, might have been 10 years ago, where I got really sick. And I um, couldn't really have the energy to go to Mass. And then when I finally started going back to Mass, I couldn't, like... I, I didn't have the energy, the stamina to speak to anybody. So I didn't go to my home parish, which was fairly friendly and, and warm. I went to a neighboring parish because I could be confident that if I just went in and sat in the corner, I could sit there the whole mass, leave right afterwards, and the whole time no one would ever try to speak to me. And it worked. <laughs> Because that's how Catholics are. Mm. And so when you need to be left alone and quiet, it's great, but it can be very disconcerting. Um, and, and as I had mentioned in something I wrote earlier that um, well, one of the essays I've put up recently, you know, I had the experience of visiting a very small uh, rural parish where it was really obvious that I was the visitor. And, you know, everybody knew that was standing on the patio afterwards that this person is not part of this parish. And I tried making eye contact and smiling and, you know, getting that initial high, beautiful day. It was a gorgeous day. Nothing. Couldn't get anybody to look at me. And I thought, wow. Um, 
And and it's not, I don't think it was that parish. It's nothing to call out about that parish. It's just that I think Catholics tend to be very introverted and not have that instinct to be outgoing and to greet people and to strike up conversations with people they don't know. That's well. a okay. So I would say that. I mean, this is this is something we'll be hopefully parsing throughout the episode. I don't know that Catholics are necessarily introverted as a people because we got Irish. Uh, we got like <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> we got some other. Uh, I got Puerto Rican Catholic relatives who are like. I mean, this is there are different things, but when it comes to like the actual like experience of a Sunday worship service. We just sort of treat it differently. Like we're going there to do something different than Protestants are going there to do on a Sunday morning. And so we kind of think about it in a completely, we think about it in a much more introverted spiritual way. But um, but Rocky, let's bring in your experience because, you know, you come from, come at this from a couple different angles because your family is trying to integrate into American life. And you also later on try to integrate into Catholic parish life. So right. I wonder if you could share some of that. Yeah, so I guess my experience was a little bit different in that when I came in, I came in at a campus parish. And so it was all about welcome because that was their whole charism. And so at first, that was my experience. But then when I moved away, yeah, definitely had that experience of when I went to grad school, trying out different parishes, or even going up to try to join different ministries and being told we're good, we're all full. And I think it is less about being introverted and I feel sometimes, especially working at a parish, sometimes you see people as they're punching the clock. They're coming in to do what's obli obligatory and then they're taking off because it's, and my colleagues and I talk about this, the parish isn't necessarily the center of our family lives anymore, whereas it used to be at one point. And so it's something we do as opposed to something we are. Um, but I think too, as I was searching, there was definitely that loneliness of not necessarily people seeing me when I would come in through the doors and not knowing that I had questions or had this longing. And it was an already established friend who kind of invited me in. And had that not happened, I don't know if I would have been connected. So there's some interesting stuff in all of this. Uh, you know, I want to reflect back on my own evangelical experience. So, um, and I've mentioned this in a few different places before, you know, evangelical my whole life through, you know, United Methodism and Nazarene and Free Methodist and some non-denominational and some college campus stuff. And I worked at Family Christian Store for a number of years. To say that I was like denominationally affiliated would be kind of like a misnomer. I was like an evangelical Christian, right? It was just mm -hmm. kind of like, it was sort of like a Christian personality that sort of pervaded the United States in the 80s and 90s. And generally speaking, the whole deal is you're a Christian, you should invite your friends to church. You see somebody new at church, you should say hello to them. <laughs> this is just kind of how we were wired. Uh, I remember when I was working at Family Christian Store, uh, we had a church supply section in the back. And uh, interestingly enough, we had this whole like shelf full of postcards, which was like different postcards that all said in different iterations, like, we missed you at Sunday school this week. So you could like just buy like a pack of 100 of these <laughs> and just mail them out. Um yeah, so yes. it's a very different kind of right. mentality. Jen, I wonder, uh, you know, on your way back into church, I know that you had like some experiences mm -hmm. with some like very evangelical, like Baptist right. friends. Like, um, I mean, yes. how did you think about the experience that brought you back to faith compared to like the experience that you found um, once you kind of got knee deep back into the sacraments? 
Um, you know, I definitely about a year in or so, I started to feel that sense of I have friends at the evangelical world. My husband remained evangelical for another 10 years after I returned to the church. Um, so for a long time, I was uh, very involved and remained fairly connected to our local evangelical community. And um, everybody at my the parish I initially began at, they were friendly. They would say hello. And for the first year or so, that felt fine. But as our first child was born and um, and as you reach that point where you're like, okay, I'm ready for some deeper relationships, that wasn't forthcoming. And whereas over in our evangelical circles, we had small groups and you would be sharing from the heart and you would have people who would check on you and be in your life and see you outside of Sunday. And it was uh, just a, a very different experience. And, and one that I know a lot of Catholics really want and are excited about when they find it. Um, but we don't, like you say, we don't have that same cultural um, habit of initiating those types of relationships. All right. So this is where I want to bring in Rocky. And I've sort of buried the lead because you have, for a great deal of your Catholic life, like worked for the church. <laughs> like yeah. worked in, in <laughs> dioceses and like parish stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, there are a lot of questions that Protestants have when they come into the church, which are you know stuff like, how come nobody sings at church? Um, how come nobody reads their Bible? How come nobody says hello to me? We won't address those first two, but let's address that third one. From your experience working kind of like on the administrative side of stuff, like why are Catholics so bad at this? <laughs> I mean, I really do think it's like a muscle memory, right? Like I was saying earlier, we kind of come to church, we punch our card, and we hightail it out of that parking lot. Um, as, as a collective group. Now, I will say that my experience as of late has been very different. Our diocese, of course, is one that has really made a huge movement of making sure that we are invitational, that we are approachable, that we are connecting and that we're building relationship because faith doesn't exist outside of that. We can't build our parishes. We can't build our church without relationship. And so I think we are just late to the game on that. Um, but even going back, I'm not sure I would be Catholic if it wasn't for my Baptist neighbor who told me about Jesus. And our next door neighbor was Catholic, but not once did I know that until after I came into the church. And they were going, hey, we're Catholic too. I'm like, tell, please huh. tell me you've seen Jennifer yeah. Fitz's Journey Home episode because because <laughs> a, a Baptist led her right. in the sinner's prayer, and then she decided that she needed to go to mass. Right. So yeah, I mean, this is like how it yes. works in a lot of cases, <laughs> right? Right. Um, But I just think we don't have that muscle memory. And I think that part of it, too, is just endemic of the culture that we're in, because we don't even culturally have those close relationships anymore. We don't have the close knit neighborhoods and families. Everybody is kind of doing their own thing. And that's where we as a church could be radical. But we find that we still end up in our own silos of whatever life is thrown at us. And then the parish isn't that extended family. We're not welcoming um, as a whole. I do have to say that I'm really proud that we belong to a parish that has made that very much part of our mission. And for us, it's discerning who wants to be left alone and not pounced on by six different right. people. Because there is that discernment too. Kind of like we have the reading of the spirits. We have the reading of the, okay, if they're looking away, maybe we won't send six people to greet them. The one thing that my husband and I struggle with is even at welcoming parishes, that extended community still doesn't seem to exist. Like the elders of the church, the mentors, the ones that are going to, Jen, like you were saying, when you had your first child or when you're having medical issues, that Mm -hmm. solid group 
that that is that's that extended family that comes in and supports and helps and in, in, in mentors through all of life struggles or even in the faith like how do we reach that adult faith what does it mean to be a fully formed and adult catholic yeah okay so there's a there's a lot in that right there um and i want to stop to kind of unpack some of it so one of the things is um when you know the church sends out documents and surveys and questions and is trying to figure out you know why are the why are young people leaving or why are families not attending the way that they should you know often the questions you know revolve around things like well do they not understand you know certain doctrinal teachings and, and that but when I talk to people who are coming back to the church after years away their thing is not like well I studied the church's teaching on the immaculate conception and I didn't agree with it so I left it's more like my uncle was dying and nobody checked on him. <laughs> like it's more like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so um, that's that's I think a big part of it. But another thing that you're saying, Rocky, about discernment of like where people are, taps to what Jen was saying about like her season of life and kind of wanting to go to a place where nobody talked to her. Every church that I ever went to as an evangelical was all made up of people who had kind of similar personality types, mm. uh, kind of similar socioeconomics, yeah. kind of similar. Um, well, obviously similar music inter interests, or they wouldn't all be going to the same kind of service, right. contemporary or traditional, like um, same race, same everything, right? So um, in Catholicism, you're kind of forced to deal with a different kind of reality. Like I'm in there with a whole bunch of people who don't even speak English as a first language, a whole bunch of people who make a gajillion times more than me, and a whole bunch of people who are making nothing right now and out of a job. Like we're in a world full of people... Right where like we would never hang out with each other in real life unless the sacraments had brought us together. So, um, Jen, I wonder if that's kind of shaped any of the way you've been writing some of these articles. Oh, definitely, um, because I am very aware of the people who, um, even when regular parish life is creating a great community for um, people who can be active, who fit the profile, um, you know, imagine your work schedule doesn't allow you to take your kid to a religious ed or you don't have transportation or you, you know, you're embarrassed about having to ask to have the fees waived for classes, things like that. Um, you know, that's very alienated and people end up very is isolated in those circumstances. Um, lot, lots of situations where a parish that is very welcoming, if you can be active, um, and, and have the energy to get involved, to volunteer, to go to social events, um, you know, maybe maybe you struggle with friendship um, because you can't do that. Um, so that is one thing that I've been thinking about lately and how and, and there really is a spectrum in in parishes. You know, you've got extremely strong parishes in terms of the the discipleship community, the um, the social stuff, the, the 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 outgoing friendliness and reaching out and the the works of mercy supporting you. Um, you know, my parish has a specific ministry for helping people through um, bereavement and uh, substance abuse and all kinds of things where you might be just be dealing with a difficult problem, um, and and they are there. Um, so it's, it's very varied, um, around the country and even from town to town, uh, parish to parish, what exactly the strengths and weaknesses of that parish are, uh, in terms of the community. Um, and, and, you know, my audience that I'm writing for is people who just, wherever we are now, we want to be a little bit better. And so that's really, I just dissect all the problems. And then if one of those is your problems, you can start thinking about how do we fix that? Yeah. Rocky, I'm very interested in your thoughts on, on this thing because, um, you know, when it comes to somebody who's 
bereaved and needs help, like that's sort of a, in some ways kind of an easily identifiable person, right? Um, they have like a specific, like an acute need. Um, right. But we have all kinds of people come to us at the Coming Home Network who are like, yeah, I can't get a ride to church. <laughs> you know, uh, and I, yeah. I think some of, I think I, both of you probably are, are connected I, with uh, John Kramer on Twitter who does the Lego Church Project. And that's one yeah. of the, he's like, his whole thing is like building Lego churches and telling people to give disabled people rides to church, right? Like this is, you know, this is, it's like a thing, right? Like the people right. want to be involved in the life of the church yeah. and like they work nights, right? Or they can't drive or, or there's all these kind of things. And, and that's where I think, um, I think that's, that's where some of the most sort of emergency help needs to come. But there's also, I mean, to flip it around on the person who's coming in from the outside, because a lot of people who are watching this are people who are coming in from the outside and coming to the Catholic church and being like, why isn't this the way that it should be? Um, how do we keep from projecting what we were looking for in other congregations onto what the mass is? Rocky, I'm sure that this is a question you've dealt with a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I think while the mass is the source and summit of the Catholic life, I think we also need to remember that it is not the totality of Catholic life. And so the mass isn't going to be the answer to everything that you're seeking. And so it is incumbent upon people that are coming to try to connect in other ways with the life of the church. And it's incumbent on the parish and the diocese to provide those opportunities and those vehicles for people to connect outside of the mass. Most of what goes on doesn't go on within the walls of our church. It just doesn't. And so we as a parish and as, as the faithful need to figure out how, you know, as Pope Francis says, to smell like the sheep, to get out of the structure and into the church at large, which is happening in our businesses, in our homes, in our hospitals, on our streets. And I think the other part of the struggle for us as Catholics is we are so structure heavy. We are so structure heavy. And for so long, we have been told that is father's job. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's father's job, or you need to have a degree, or you need this qualification and that certification. And we haven't empowered the faithful to go be church, to reach out and to give their neighbor a ride or to even know that their neighbor might be interested in a ride to church or the language or the skills to invite them to say, this is really important to us. Hey, once you come, your family come along. Yeah. You know, I was walking through the donut line after my mass uh, a couple <laughs> weeks ago and we do RCIA between the masses, which by the way is a whole other question mm -hmm. because Sometimes we, we are like, hey, you want to become you Catholic? Why don't you meet at Thursday night at 9 p.m. in the darkest, most <laughs> obscure room in the entire parish by yourself? You know, like, uh, so that's part of it. So so okay. I was like, no, man, let's do what the Protestants do. Mm -hmm. You put it between the services. You know, Sunday yeah. school goes between the services. Uh, but, you know, I was walking through with one of our um, people who's in RCIA grabbing donuts on the way to class. And uh, we were talking about RCIA and, you know, I think a confirmation sponsor stuff or whatever. And one of the ladies who's handing out donuts, who's part of just like a Catholic daughter's thing, um, doesn't have a degree, uh, you know, isn't like a Eucharistic minister or, or you know, a, a lay pastoral ministry degree just over here. So this is like, oh, you're coming to the church? You know, where you come from? I'm so excited. That's so amazing. Like, you know, tell me about yourself. Like, yeah, it's so simple. It's so easy. And I right. think because it's so easy, it's so easy for us to overlook. Um, Jen, I wonder if you have some thoughts on that. 
Um, well, you know, I want to come back to that first question about the nature of the mass, because that is um, some reality that we're dealing with is, you know, especially if you're coming from an evangelical background, that community is um, a lot of ways part of the worship experience. Whereas in the mass, um, even though it's a, it's, it is a corporate worship, um, we're, we're having a lot going on interiorly and you're, you're very, um, you know, if your, your active participation is less about outward noise and movement and all that, and more about your conversation with Jesus during that time. And, um, so it's very personal. Um, uh, most priests prefer to have silence before and afterwards or call it personal silence the organ might be playing so that you can have private prayer uh, and, and I don't think we should try to fight that at all I think that entering more deeply into your contemplation of what the mass is can make that time more fruitful for what it is um, so I think the reality is we have to recognize that for most parishes the time uh, in the church during mass and immediately before and after during you know any personal prayer um is it is a separate world for you and then we need to be intentional about creating the spaces before and after you you know before you enter the church after you step out of mass um or other times during the week um to intentionally socialize then instead of dashing away um and and that i think uh that can be really good, and um, you know, I don't, I don't think we need to fight that as Catholics and try to be something that we're not. I think we get it all if we, if we were intentional about it. Rocky, this. you got anything to add to that? Yeah, I do actually. I, I was going to say that I think the pandemic was actually a gift to us in some ways because it forced us to go outside of those brick walls and figure out creative ways to connect with our community. And so we started calling everybody on our parish rolls. We just a phone call. How are you doing? Let's check in. What do you need? And I think that that restored in us this lost desire or thirst to really connect even with the people that we're not seeing, and especially with the people that we don't see on a regular basis. And I think if we can sustain that, that that will be a real gift to the church. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, gosh, there's so much to say here. Uh, we So we did a, a whole series of On the Journey with... Um, a couple of my colleagues, Ken Hensley and Kenny Burchard. Ken was a Baptist pastor. Kenny was a Foursquare Pentecostal pastor. And we've been going through like what the mass is compared to like what their worship services were. And it's been a very enlightening exercise to kind of like think about like what were what were you trying to accomplish in those other mm -hmm. places, those other kinds of worship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think about my own experience and I've been very careful to not say very much about this at all. Uh, but, you know, I went to Asbury College, which was, you know, has been making the news of late because like people started a chapel service there a while back and it just never end. It ended for like two whole weeks. Right. And in some ways it's caused like a vibe, you know, kind of spread through the room and everybody was kind of like feeling a similar kind of thing. Um, and in the mass, it's a different sort of animal. Like you can be in a, in a mass and there can be people who are feeling nothing, but feel like, a sense of duty and that's good because I didn't feel a duty in a lot of my life to go to a place where I didn't feel something right so that duty in itself is kind of like a one kind of emotion that someone can feel in the mass uh, another thing uh, would be like you know someone's had like an awful week and this is their first shot at silence and so they're just 
well, like you were saying, Jen just don't want to talk to anybody. Like this is their chance to be like quiet before they go back into the maelstrom. And other people are like just having a great time and like this is like the best part of their week and they're ready to like, you know, slap backs with the people in the room with them. Like I think that there there needs to be a sense for those of us coming from the outside, like we need to respect that there's like a range of ways that people you know, are coming into the mass and the people are feeling an approach in the mass and everybody doesn't need to come out with the same kind of like emotional temperature. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Jennifer, I know you've written about this before because and we're going to get into this to a minute into this in a minute. Like you can like mess up somebody's world if, if you're not reading their emotional temperature coming out of church or, <laughs> you know, right. You could be like, really, you can make things awkward. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, and I think that's a lot of why we have a culture of not saying hello is we are afraid to bother people and we want to respect people's privacy. Um, and so I think for Catholics, our challenge is finding that happy medium where we are outgoing and looking for cues that somebody would like you to say hello, um, providing some specific um, structured opportunities to meet people and and when I say structured it might be uh something like when you come into coffee and donuts put on a name tag and then go introduce oh, name tags by the way are one of the best things before. I've ever introduced to RCIA because in previous years um you yes. you say names once at the beginning of class one by class four people are like is it Ethan or Nathan <laughs> so Tim right, or Tom exactly so Jennifer or Janet, I can't, you know, it's yeah. the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so you can just tell people like, oh, go your, your mission when you leave this mass is when you pick up your donut, mm-hmm. introduce yourself to one person you don't know. That is a structure. Um, and, and Catholics kind of need that. They need a little bit of, um, well, father told me to do it, so I'm doing it. Um, I, now I have right. permission because right. he said I had to say hello to you. Um, and otherwise I would be afraid to, I'd be afraid to bother mm-hmm. you or I would be afraid I don't know what to say or whatever. But since I got this excuse or, you know, allow some time at the start of Bible study or the end of Bible study, that's structured conversation time. Um, you know, so you're not just studying, but you're getting to know each other. Um, those those are some tools we can have that hit that um, balance of respecting people who need the privacy or the quiet or just can't deal today, um, but also being outgoing for the people who want it. And you hear that cue and you're like, oh, I want to meet some people. I'm going to go to Donuts and put on my name tag and someone will say hi. Okay, so so Rocky, you've been yeah. in parishes and diocese and stuff. Does it actually work or is like this is just our dream that we really kind of are like hoping would work if we tried it? I think- there's just an ebb and flow. It can work. It can work great if people are invested. But I think that we also have to realize that people have good days and they have bad days. And some days they're going to want to slap on a name tag and go introduce themselves. And some days they're going to want to sit at a table with the comfort of people they already know because it's been a hard week and they're there to be filled. And as long as we have an investment from the whole parish, yes, it it can work. But again, I think it is building that muscle for us as Catholics because at the mass, that is not our natural inclination. It overall, corporately, I think you're always going to have some people for whom it is a natural inclination and for others where they have to be reminded. And that's true of different priests, too. We forget that priests come with their different temperaments and personalities, and each parish has its own charism and spirituality. And so I think, too, 
and it's so hard to do during RCIA to, to break open all of these things is allowing them to have different experiences of what it means to be Catholic. Because I don't think there is one, I think we try to put it in a really small box when it's, you know, wide open, it's universal. And so it can be, it can look very different from parish to parish or from culture to culture. I'm so glad you brought up priests because, you know, a while back, um, there was a priest at my parish who I loved and I knew that he also, like not everybody got his deal. Um, but there were a few people, the people who got his deal loved him. The people, you know, who didn't get his deal were like, man, what's his deal? Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember talking, uh, after we got a new pastor in that world, uh, to a lady and she's like, man, I really miss so-and-so. Um, I'm still trying to figure out the new guy, but like, you know, whatever. I'm like, the new guy's been here for four years. <laughs> you know, it's just, I think that, that we, we take for granted because, you know, for those of us who bounced around any kind of evangelical world, like you're like, okay, I go here or don't go here based on how I like the guy up front. Like that's another piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely that, right. that's true in Catholic world too, though. People will bounce from parish to parish and follow priests and it becomes a cult of personality rather than entering into the work and the life of a Catholic parish. And there are pros to that. And there are huge cons to that in that you're only invested in a community as long as you like the person who's leading it, which for Catholics, and I think this is maybe a mind shift for people coming from a different denomination, that's Jesus. The priest is serving Jesus. And so we don't follow our priest. I mean, we do, but, you know, like it isn't that we're joining the church because we like the priest. Like we need to be sure that we're joining the church because we want to be invested in the faith of the, the total faith of Catholicism. You know, it's interesting. I mean, think back on the pressure of that, and I don't know if either of you have any comments on this, um, but, you know, when I would go on vacation in my Protestant life and uh, I'd be thinking about like, well, it's Sunday coming up. I mean, should I stay out, you know, on the beach or the lake or in the forest and out my, outside of my tent and read my Bible or should I find a place to go and, you know, um, and if it mm -hmm. comes down to a find a place to go, it's like, well, I might want to go to a Methodist church, but I know Methodists can be like kind of weird from town to town. So like, I don't know. <laughs> and like, I, you know, I have some Nazarene in my background, but my Nazarenes are kind of like more like sort of mainstream evangelical. And some Nazarenes don't believe in makeup or skirt or pants for women. Like, I don't know what I'm going to, like, I don't know. Right? right. As a Catholic, it doesn't matter where I go. I know what church I'm going to. Right. Like whatever town I'm, right. I'm in, like it's a different kind of mindset. Right. Um, I mean, it, it, Jen, I know you talked about this, at least in your first article, like, right. you know, about that kind of concept of just right. being like, I'm part of a universal church, not part of like just mm -hmm. this one spot in this one town. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. No, my husband, uh, he went to Catholic church while camping long before he converted or re reverted to the Catholic faith because he's like, it's the McDonald's of Christianity. <laughs> I know what I'm going to get. We'll um, take it. <laughs> And, you know, and, and my, uh, one of my children was playing uh, sports with lots of weekend games out of town. And we were the only person on the team in the Bible Belt, um, well, and the other Catholic teammates. Um, so there might be one or two other Catholics who would go to Mass that Sunday, even though most of the other teammates were church going. Um, but they didn't feel the need 
to get to a church service um, if they were out of town. So, um, so, and that definitely, I think, does underscore that sense of that universality. Um, and, and I think for somebody who is new to the Catholic Church, um, I, I think it's legitimate to say that, you know, if there are multiple parishes in your area and one really seems to fit um, what you need, because, for example, my parish is near a university, um, so we have a really strong um, young professionals, 20s and 30s um, engagement, but college age, the university parish covers it. And it, I think it's fair to say, well, just because I'm, you know, I, my, my home parish that I would otherwise go to, um, you know, I, I don't have to be stuck there if there's a true almost like an understanding that this parish is going to help these people and this parish is going to help those people because we have to steward our resources and all parishes can't provide all services um, in terms of a social life and so forth. Um, and and I think in a lot of ways that um, helps you feel part of the larger, larger body of Christ when you know that you're kind of, your parishes are teaming up um, when when they need to. Yeah, and I think too the beauty of that is we can worship at one church and participate in the life of ministries in other churches if our parish doesn't provide that. We're not we're not beholden to just one building and just one community. Just think about something like um uh, like Project Rachel, right? Or mm-hmm. or think about something like um the Society right. of Saint Vincent de Paul, right? Uh or or any number of ministries within whatever diocese mm-hmm. you have to be happen to be living in, like you know, you're part of your parish, but you're also part of your diocesan church, and you're also part of the church in the United States of America. You're also part of the church in North America. You're also part of the church that speaks English, and you're also part of the universal church. You're also part of the church that died uh, and the church that's in heaven. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's not like... Yeah, right, right. I mean, th- yeah, this, right. Is, this is not that's like a... lot a, to take yeah. in. Yeah, it's not like you're just, okay, I'm, I have yeah. to, like, decide on, like, whether I like the people in this, <clears throat> you know square footage of space it's not that kind of pressure right now you will have a stronger community life the more that you stay in one parish so from that's the other super angle, important by yes. the way you know, uh, especially for a protestant you know, don't don't, don't right. be used yeah. to shopping that's huge right. right and so you know to the extent that well they've got a larger ministry mm-hmm. over here but my parish could have a small ministry in that same vein that, you know, I have a calling for. Then build your own parish um, and and have as many connections as you can, because um, the more overlapping relationships you have in the parish, the more you're going to find those friendships in that community life. Um, so, you know, I uh, and I'll give the example um, when my daughter was young, um, she took music lessons from the music director. She took piano lessons. So it was she saw this woman on Sunday playing church. And then during the week we came and got a class and it provided this extra layer of connection and community for her um, that we wouldn't have gotten if we had been going someplace else for music lessons. Um, So the more overlap you can get, the stronger your sense of community. We call that subsidiarity, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite, one right. of the most uh, overlooked Catholic social uh, teaching terms uh, and one of the most important. Yeah, yeah. So. Amen. Right? Oh, it is, yeah. For sure. Yeah. But I think, too, like, don't be afraid to go seeking what you need, but don't let that yeah. become, that. Yeah. don't let that be your spirituality either. Like, at some point, you do right. need to put down roots. 
And it's okay if that's not where you can change. Like you're not, again, once you join a parish, that doesn't mean you're stuck there for life if it really isn't working. Um, and I think too, from the parish's end, that we we need to rethink the way that we do parish membership. And that is, it's a whole beast of, of its own nature. You know, like maybe the envelope isn't the first thing we give people that that show up and want to join. <laughs> right? Maybe <laughs> maybe we wait a year. <clears throat> right? right. <laughs> and so we, we talk about this all the time at the parish. Like, how do we better connect people when they come in to other people who are already here, whether that's by life stage, whether that's by interest, whether it's by vocation or occupation? And how do we start to build those those relationships? And make it beyond the mass and beyond the building, because that is what's going to sustain people. But in times of hardship, I will say that the church has been a steady constant as well. Well, I mean, think about compared to like what's gone on throughout like Christianity in America in the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's been, well, it's been a fascinating thing to observe, uh, you know, having grown up outside the church, right? Um, and to see how the churches that I was involved in before have managed this and tried to figure it out. And in some ways, like the pandemic has been kind of like the straw that has broken a lot of, um, other denominations backs. Like suddenly all this stuff that they were waiting to say, or like saying under their breath in the fellowship hall or whatever, like now it's all out. Right. In some ways we've been fighting in our church for like two millennia. So centuries. So it's like. (laughs) None of this stuff is like new. Nobody's no. going to bring up something and be like, oh, you know what I don't like about Catholicism? Like, it's not going to be new, right? <laughs> Here's the checkbox. Which one don't you like? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. So there's there's an advantage there. But um, gosh, there's, there's so many directions I want to go. Um, how about we do this? So I have a lightning round kind of thing. It's not yeah. going to be a full-on lightning round. But I'm going to call this Fellowship Fails. And I'll go first. And I want to know... <laughs> Uh, something that e- either you tried um, as an insider or an outsider in the Catholic faith mm-hmm. that just blew up in your face and that just you, you just, it was kind of embarrassing. Um, I'll give two of mine. Um, one is when I first came into the church, well, when I was first started visiting mass and like nobody was saying hello to me, I was like, I'm just going to hang out by the back bulletin board and look at the announcements like a person who's never been here before until somebody's like, hey, are you new here? And like for weeks... <laughs> Like nobody noticed. So uh, that was a fail. Um, sometimes you're like, oh, I'll just look at the art around this parish and I'll just stare at a stained glass window like it's the first time I'm, I've seen it. And then somebody will be like, oh, this person's never seen this stained glass window before. That must be because they've never been inside this church before. Therefore, I'll say hello to them. No, nah, no. Nah. That's, a, that's a fellowship fail for me. Uh, the other is from the inside of the church, you know, Looking out, I go to the earliest, so not that preference matters when it comes to liturgy, but my preference is usually the earliest mass possible with the least music possible. Uh, that's usually how I go. Um, and so I go to the early mass at my parish, which has like four masses on a weekend. And there's been more than once, I'll admit, where there's somebody been at the end of my pew and I've uh, never seen them before. And uh, maybe they don't even go up for communion and I go over to them and I'm like, hey, it's so glad so glad that you're here. Are you new here? Where are you from? They're like, no, I'm not new here, man. I go to the 430. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we got to, we were yeah. out of town yeah. last night. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, right. so, I mean, that's another reality, by the way, mm-hmm. that like, 
You know, right? you got people yeah. whose yes. like whole world is the 830 mass who don't even mm-hmm. know the people from the 430 mass until there's a fish mm-hmm. fry. So, um, but yeah, any other uh, fellowship fails we can throw yeah. in the mix. It doesn't have to be parish related. It can be related to this concept, though. <laughs> okay, well, I, I, I wrote about the, the experience I had that one time of overcoming my shyness. I'm going to talk to the other mom on the playground and I, I walk over and I say, hi, how are you? Oh, I see your daughter. That's my daughter. And, you know, I just normal, normal, nice hello on the playground conversation. And this woman was just like, <laughs> you know, who, why are you speaking to me? And I'm like, I'm a perfectly harmless church lady. Don't You're not even extroverted in real really life, right? I mean- I know, and, and and I'm like, you know, I, I it took a lot of nerve for me to do this. Um, and then the other one is getting over my fear of giving somebody, calling somebody by the wrong name. And and one time I'm I'm on the playground. This couple that you know we we, we love to chat after mass. It was actually a real success. Um, is is playground conversation overall um, in that environment? One of the reasons that the the cold reception had shocked me that one time. And and I'm like, I'm gonna call this guy by his name. And it was the wrong name. <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, we have to have name tags. It's no shame in so, that. So, you know, it's it, it, it does require putting yourself mm-hmm. out there and, and taking risks. And, you know, most of the time things aren't that bad. And now I just accept that I don't know people's names and I get it wrong. And I just tell people, just just tell me over and over and over again. And eventually All right. So can I, can I tap into something from your story real quick before we get to Rocky? The other thing I would say and this is to the Catholics who might be listening. Don't monopolize Father's time after Mass. Mm. Don't don't make Father be yes. stuck with the same 10 people after Mass every week mm-hmm. because that limits yep. his ability to be able to say hello to the new people, especially the shy people who are like, oh, well, I'll just wait until he's got a moment. Oh, it's been 15 minutes. Um, I'm just going to go, right? Mm-hmm. Don't, don't monopolize Father's time, um, especially if you know Father, then you can email him, right? <laughs> So, yeah, that's what I'll add to that. All right, Rocky, fellowship fails. (laughs) So kind of tapping into Jen's, mine is not so much calling somebody by the wrong name, but I am notorious for um, mixed up identities. I will think I know who you are. Oh, no, that's the worst. And I will come up and be like, hey, how's it Oh, not even close. Not even close. Like, I'll come up and hug you from behind because I think you are somebody I know, but you aren't. And I don't know you. And now it's really awkward. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm the queen of, of mistaken identity. It goes all the way back to high school yeah. where right. I hugged a student teacher thinking right. it was a friend of mine. Well, to be honest, most Catholics kind of look alike. Right. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, totally. You and me, totally alike, right? <laughs> I mean, going to a grocery store, nobody's going to know which one of, this, one of us they're talking to. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> Isn't that the worst? Like, how many times have I been in a grocery store and some kids like pulled on my coat and been like, dad? And I turn around and I'm like, you're not my kid. <laughs> Who is this kid? Someone's dad. So, you know, getting used to embarrassment, that that's just part of the, part of the game. Right. Um, but then the other one was right after I had come into the church. And again, I came in in a campus parish. It was really welcoming, really active ministries, very open to new membership in that was just really, they were really good at that. And when I went to grad school, I went into the campus parish there and, you know, new Catholic, super excited, walked in, tried to join stuff. And they were like, yeah, that's already full. No, we're good. 
nope, we don't need another choir member. Hmm. And I didn't go back to church. It was my supervisor who happened to also be Catholic who was like, wait, you just came into the church. You're coming with us. But I would have, you know, and I think that that's actually a really similar experience for a lot of people that come in through RCIA or OCIA or whatever it is now. Um, That that high of coming into the church then can plateau really quickly. I would say overall my parish experience is that if you're willing to work, people Mm -hmm. want you. Um, and, and really that's almost like the question is, are you willing to work? If so, then yes, we have a place for you. Um, but I have heard of parishes where that happens. Oh, it's certainly been and, my experience. Um, I mean, I've experienced a range of, a of, real... of versions of that, but uh, yeah. I, I just want to speak a word specifically yeah. to the people who are watching this, who come from evangelical churches where they were involved in something and now they come into the church and there's like, yeah, sorry, we got our, uh, we got all the people we need for the soup kitchen. Right. You know, and that that could be like, oh, well, they don't need me here. You know. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I will say, from a parish end, we fight against that all the time in trying to sustain and grow ministries. Is that that becomes a person's Catholic identity? I am the hospitality committee, or I am the lector, and I am this, as opposed to seeing it as a way that we're serving and, and growing and inviting other people into the life and the work of the church. And so, for Catholics that are watching, I think it is really important that we not allow what we do to become our identity of who we are and that we invite new members into figuring out how it is that they too can contribute because we each have something to share. And so to the people who are coming in, I would say be persistent, be persistent. Well, it's like, uh, I mean, everything Um, connects back to baseball. If you have the same middle reliever pitching every night, man, that guy's getting wore out, right? This is why you have a bullpen. So, right. Yeah. No, and I think something um, for newcomers to a parish, a lot of times, you know, you are coming on a longstanding community and, and I have encountered situations where maybe the pastor has somebody filling a particular ministry who has some real weaknesses in that area, but also the pastor knows this person loves this, it's their place, and I don't want to mess with it. And so, for example, I had a pastor turn down the offer of altar service at daily mass because the sacristan just, it was going to upset the sacristan who did that mass. And, and you're like, but we're, you're denying these boys the chance to serve. And, um, and, and on the one hand, that makes you go, oh, gosh, what are you doing? And on the other hand, you have to say, well, that sacristan is being protected and has this little spot in daily mass where she can do what she does and the pastor's sort of providing her a place. And so you have to be say, you know, maybe there's someplace else that I could serve and, and recognize that this is a vulnerable person who, you know, needs their thing that they do. Um, and that can be hard to deal with, but you know, you're dealing with a very established community in most places and there will be those spots um, that you kind of just have to say, you know, there's something going on there oh, look, over in this ministry, they're they're really open to what I have to offer. Um, and that's just part of, you know, it's a family dynamic. Um, there are times when you want to confront family dynamics, and there are times when you just say, you know, this is a family of people who are, you know, still growing. Yeah, well, this has been a great conversation. I want to thank Jennifer Fitz. I want to thank Rocky McCormick uh, for being a part of this discussion. Hopefully it's some measure of encouragement for those of you who are, Especially coming from the outside of the church and trying to figure out, like, where in the world am I? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, 
how do I fit here? Um, especially if you've only been a mask like one or two times. Uh, I hope this has been an encouragement to you. Uh, we've got links to the articles from Jennifer um, on her Substack. Uh, she's been writing actually a few of them now, um, and you can click on over to them and, and see some of her own fellowship fails. And uh, you can also, by the way, check out both Jen and Rocky on Twitter. Uh, you can check out Rocky on Instagram as well. I encourage people to go check out that. Uh, also, uh, in the meantime, um, thank you so much, Jen, Rocky, for being a part of, uh, of the show. Um, and uh, thank you for being a part of Coming Home Network Presents. Bye. Thanks for having me. All right. And thank you for watching this episode of Coming Home Network Presents. We'll talk to you again next time around.